This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health, a new fully integrated biopharmaceutical solutions organization that's the result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health. Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit cineoshealth.com podcast. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is July 18th, and this is the Wednesday healthcare edition of the show. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and I'm joined by healthcare specialist Todd Campbell via Skype. We'll kick things off this episode with an update on the epilepsy drug market, specifically certain types of childhood onset epilepsy that respond poorly to existing treatment options. Last month, a company called GW Pharmaceuticals, their ticker is GWPH, won approval for the first ever marijuana-derived drug, which was approved to treat Dravet syndrome and Lennox-Gastaut syndrome. We touched on this on our April 25th episode after the drug got a thumbs up from the FDA's advisory committee, and then the drug went on to be approved. It's called Epidiolex. It's actually not yet available for sale because we're still waiting for it to be scheduled by the Drug Enforcement Administration. And the reason that we bring all of this up again is because there's some new news on the competition front in this space. Before we get to that competition, Todd, do you want to add any details on GWO Pharmaceuticals Epidiolex? I think you know investors should just know basically what it is. And what it is, is it's a purified version of cannabidiol. And we call that CBD. So if you ever hear anybody talking about marijuana and they mention CBD, that's what it is. And it is one of well over 100 different um, things that go in to making up what marijuana, uh, making up the marijuana plant. Matter of fact, it's the second most common thing found in the marijuana plant, accounting for about 40% of its extract, the most common of which obviously being THC. CBD is very intriguing to medical researchers because unlike THC, it does not cause the euphoric high that's associated with smoking marijuana. So people are thinking, okay, if if CBD is useful medically, we can get away with doing that without exposing uh, patients to the risk of that euphoria. The other thing that I think is interesting to know, Christine, is you know obviously we want to update investors on what's going on with GW Pharma. We want to talk about Zogenics, which is the competitor that just had some really interesting news come out. But I came across the stat, Christine, as I was doing my research for today's show, and it really, really surprised me because we don't talk about epilepsy much on the show. Yet, did you know that there are more people with epilepsy than Parkinson's, autism, and multiple sclerosis combined. Wow, that's super interesting. Although we are, with these drugs, talking about very, very specific types of epilepsy that are extremely rare, but that's interesting how widespread the broader indication is. Yeah, and I think that investors have to recognize that because it's such a large patient population, um, and because, yes, while these are, we're talking about Dravat syndrome, analytics gestalt syndrome specifically, there is obviously the potential for this to get either used off-label by doctors because, you know, once Epidiolex got approved and once it becomes available, doctors can uh, write prescriptions for it off-label. Uh, and there's also the chance for other studies to get done on, in, in other more common forms of epilepsy. Yeah, that is super interesting. 
Uh, let's move right along to the competitor, which is another twist and turn in this story that's worth mentioning. So the company, as you alluded to, is called Zogenics. Their ticker is ZGNX. They had massive trading days on the market on Thursday and Friday of last week. They gained 32% of their total market cap over those two days alone, based mostly on the successful Phase three data that they that they reported in their drug ZX008 in Dravet syndrome. You know that stock. So Genix is up four hundred and fifteen percent since last August. <laughs> Mind-numbing return. And of course, the excitement is it's it's due to the ZX008 and the potential for it maybe to elbow um, uh, market share away from Apidiolex if it eventually gets. FDA approval. Last fall, they reported positive outcomes from their first phase three data in Dravat syndrome, showing that they could reduce monthly seizures in this tough to treat uh, patient population. And then last week, they had the results come out for their second uh, phase three trial, again, significantly reducing monthly seizures in this patient population. Christine, you and I talk about it all the time. You can't compare two separate studies head to head against one another. I mean, it's just bad science to do so, but it's very hard um, not to do that as an investor, especially when you look at Zogenics information or data showing a 63% median reduction in monthly seizures for these patients versus a Pidiolix, which depending on the trial, had a reduction of between 40 and 50%. Arguably, what you probably could safely say is that both of these drugs are very effective. Well, yeah, so you're right that it's bad science to compare, but the reason that we always follow that statement with a but is because people out there in the real world, if you're a doctor looking to prescribe one of these two drugs, you're going to see those numbers. And even if you know that they haven't been tested head to head, if you're looking for something to differentiate them, that's a very easy way to make the decision. But, and here's another but, Safety is going to end up being an even more important part of this. Something that I want to point out from the press release is that the, the uh, Zogenics press release is that ZX008 was stated to be generally well tolerated in the phase three study, with adverse events consistent with those observed in earlier studies and also consistent with the known safety profile of fenfluoramine, which is uh, that's what ZX008 is a low dose of. And Todd, I want to get your input here on what you make of that, given that this drug, fenfluoramine, was part of the infamous fenfen, which was an obesity drug that was pulled from the market back in the 1990s due to cardiovascular side effects. Yeah, breathing new life into an old discarded drug. Um, you know, fenfen was heralded for its ability to help uh, battle back at obesity. However, uh, when when push came to shove after it got used in the real world, it was discovered that it could increase the risk of cardiovascular problems that could you know lead to death. So it was voluntarily <laughs> FDA asked for it to be removed from the market. Um, and I'm sure that many people will be weighing that in the back of their minds, many doctors and patients, as ZXO if ZXO8 makes its way past the FDA to the market, and they're trying to compare these competing drugs. Um, so far, in hundreds of patients studied by Zogenics, we have not seen any scary cardiovascular signals. So it may be that they found the sweet spot in the right amount of dosing that wouldn't cause the cardiovascular problems but still has efficacy. 
the thing that investors ought to realize too, though, I mean, you may think, okay, well, this is a slam dunk because he, he had zero zero eight. You know, it's Fen who's going to want to come, you know, prescribe that. But it wasn't like the Pidiolex came through with a squeaky clean safety uh, profile either. As a matter of fact, patients who get prescribed that drug will have to go undergo constant monitoring to make sure that they don't end up with elevated enzymes, liver enzymes, because that was something a problem that occurred. Um, during its trials or was observed in its trials. So there's, there's a, a little bit of a, a debate here, if you will, between, okay, we have these two very efficacious products for a patient population that's in desperate need. I mean, remember, Christine, these people are suffering dozens of seizures per month. And they, frankly, they just don't respond to the current antiepileptics on the, antiepileptics on the market. So, you know, the difference in a 10% uh, of efficacy when you're having dozens, that's, that's significant um, efficacy difference, uh, theoretically. And then, you know, the safety, it, it may just come down, Christine, I think it'll just come down to perceptions. How do people perceive marijuana versus how do they perceive uh, FenFen? Yep, absolutely. And price could be another component, but at this stage, it's kind of too early to tell. We'll be right back with more after a quick message from our sponsor. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health. Bringing a new drug to market is getting tougher and tougher. At Cineos Health, they're changing the game. As a result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, they have created a unique business model that allows clinical and commercial disciplines to work together, eliminating traditional process obstacles and delivering something they call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Helping their customers accelerate the delivery of important therapies to patients, Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit CineosHealth.com slash podcast. The massive $245 billion market cap United Health Group, ticker UNH, reported earnings yesterday. Expectations were pretty high, but the company managed to beat them yet again. Quarterly revenue of $56.1 billion was up 12% year-over-year. Earnings from operations of $4.2 billion was up 13% year-over-year. Adjusted EPS of $3.14 per share was up 28%. Todd, what stood out to you in this quarter's report? I want everybody to kind of you know, write down those figures and you know, keep them in the back of your mind as we're having this conversation. Revenue up 12%. Operating earnings up 13%, EPS up 28%. I mean, those are all things that you want to see, right? Especially for a company as big as this. They did $56.1 billion in revenue. And if you break that out, 46, nearly 46 billion of that came from their insurance being, uh, uh, business. So premiums that are being paid for health insurance. Now, United Healthcare is the nation's largest health insurer. They insure 48.8 million people, and they do a tremendous amount of business um, in the commercial market. So the employer business, so you know, offering plans to people who are at work, work for other people uh, or other companies. Um, and then they have a small individual business. But it's not the commercial business that's behind this double-digit growth. Yeah, what really seemed to drive it was their government insurance programs, so their Medicare and retirement segment, uh, and so their uh, that business segment grew revenue 12.6 percent. The number of people in the segment grew 10.4 percent. So when you look at what's really driving the bottom line here, it is it's Medicare, it's Medicare Advantage, and it's Medicaid. Right, you had 26.3 million commercial members uh, insured. And that was down from 26.9 million 
year over year. So you actually lost 600,000 uh, members in the commercial business. Yet that that it, you know that represents more than half of the the, the membership that the company has um, and, and handles. So you know yes, Medicare and Medicaid are moving the needle for United Healthcare. Medicare Advantage plans, um, they saw their enrollment up uh, more than 10%. I think they've got 4.8 million people now in Medicare Advantage. Supplemental, they went to 4.5 million people from 4.36 million people. Medicaid, they went to 6.7 million people from 6.4 million people. So they are getting a tremendous tailwind from their government programs, and that's more than making up for what we'll call, uh, I guess, a flat line in its commercial business. And I guess that makes sense, right, Christine? Because, you know, unemployment is 4.1%. So, you know, how much more, um, how, uh, how many more people can you really uh, employ at this point? Right. That's a pretty finite number of total people that are commercially insured. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's some takeaways here that, you know, investors are going to have to be paying attention to when it comes to United Healthcare. I mean, if you're interested in investing in large healthcare companies, I think, you know, you have to consider insurance companies. And of all the insurance companies that are out there, United Healthcare has to be at the top of the list of of, of companies to to have on your on your list. However, you're going to need to pay particular attention as we go from here specifically to that Medicare and that Medicaid um, business. And, you know, I, I, you know, I happen to think, Christine, I don't know if you agree with me, but I happen to think that there are some very big natural tailwinds that could support ongoing growth. I mean, maybe you don't get consistent growth of 10% year over year out of this company forever, but the patient, the, the number of people who are going to be um, covered by Medicare and Medicaid is going to soar between now and 2050. Yeah, no, it has a huge demographic tail on behind it. I don't think anyone's arguing that. Yeah, 83.7 million people uh, by 2050. That's almost double uh, where we were in 2012. That's age 65 and up. Now, United Healthcare is the largest player in the Medicare market. They have a 24% market share um, by enrollment. That's according to the latest research by Kaiser, which tracks this kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, if we assume that baby boomers are going to continue to get older and they're going to, that Medicare is still going to be around, um, it's probably safe to say, assume that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to choose Medicare Advantage. And I mean, Kaiser's research shows that enrollment in Medicare Advantage plans is up 71% since just 2010. Yeah. And then another note that I want to point out on United Health is that really where they stood out in this corner quarter was on the bottom line. They were able to control expenses really well, specifically their uh, medical care ratio, which is a measure of how much they're spending on medical costs as a percentage of total revenue. That dropped by 30 basis points to 81.9%, and they're expecting that to come in around 81.5% for the year. This is a remarkably consistent number. This is a company that is, quarter after quarter, able to keep its expenses in line. Yeah, that's the big thing, and they're investing very heavily in tech, use, the use of technology to help prevent expensive care. So they want to create more price transparency so that their members can go out and actually comparison shop uh, for services. Uh, that could save a lot of money and help keep that MCR down 
Um, and they're also doing uh, uh, some really interesting, I guess, laying the groundwork for any kind of a shift, to shift towards value-based care away from fee-for-service care. And of course, that could also help them control some costs and maybe continue to, to reward investors. The other thing that you know investors should recognize is that they're very aggressively buying back their stock. And that's also supporting uh, the increase, the bigger than expected increase in, in on the bottom line. Yeah, the share buybacks are kind of an interesting thing because this company is, on the surface, a pretty shareholder-friendly company, but their shares outstanding has been pretty steady over the last year or so, even going back before that. But they have a new 100 million share buyback program that was just announced in June, and if they do execute that without granting an excessive number of shares to their employees and whatnot to you know, level uh, to be you know, the other end of the seesaw, there um, that 100 million shares would bring their outstanding share count down about 10 percent. They do have a dividend, um, which you would expect for a company this big and this consistent, but it's only 1.4 percent, and it's supported with plenty of cash flow coming in. Their payout ratio is in the low 20s, so they could easily bump that even higher. Although it does seem like their preference is to do more of the share buybacks, which, if you think about the amount of political uncertainty and the amount of investment that you need to be doing just to keep up with the changes in the healthcare landscape. I think that seems like a reasonable distribution of capital. Yeah, the only thing that I would say is that, you know, yes, it's it's we'll poo-poo the 1.4% because that's less than the S&P 500, right? You could buy the SPY and get a higher dividend yield than buying United Healthcare stock. But I think investors should also recognize that that dividend pay payout was just increased back in June by 20%. So, yeah, um, you've got a relatively low payout, but obviously they they are making a commitment to increasing that dividend over time. And uh, a 20% inter increase in dividend for this year is, is not bad at all, not shabby. Yeah, with a ton of room to grow as well. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, I think that you know investors trying to figure out you know the puts and takes on this, the things to keep in mind. Um, if you go back to earlier in the show talking about the epilepsy drugs, I think you just need to see, wait and see how this shakes out with the de scheduling of the marijuana drug, Epidiolex. Um, that's going to be relatively important because you know if they get favorable scheduling, it can get prescribed and refills can get um, prescribed. Uh, more easily, uh, that could increase its use relative to Zogenic's uh, competing drug. Um, and when it comes to the insurers, again, keep a close eye on on policy in Washington and what ends up happening with Medicare and Medicaid going forward, because it seems like that's really what's going to be driving the results of these big insurers over the course of the next few years. Sounds good. Thanks a bunch, Todd. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Dan Boyd. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! These days, bringing a new drug to life is getting tougher and tougher. It can take billions of dollars and a decade or more to bring an experimental drug from molecule to market. And only one in five marketed drugs ever achieve revenues that match or exceed R&D costs. At Cineos Health, we're working to improve the odds. The result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, Cineos Health is the only company purpose-built to create what we call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Our unique business model allows the clinical and commercial disciplines to work together from the start, sharing critical data, insights, and knowledge. 
the Cineos Health approach creates success by eliminating traditional obstacles and smoothing the process at every step along the way, from clinical trials to FDA approval, branding and marketing to patient adherence. Every day, Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit CineosHealth.com slash podcast.